Since we hope on Good Friday to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, I invite you to turn to the, in the Forms and Prayers book, the Forms and Prayers book, page 44, to the preparatory exhortation found on page 44. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, since we hope next Friday to celebrate the blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are called to prepare our hearts by rightly examining ourselves. For the Apostle Paul has written, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. Therefore, you should examine your life, and considering your own sin and the wrath of God against it, be sure that you humble yourself in repentance before God. Examine your heart to be sure that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, believing that your sins are forgiven wholly by grace because of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. Finally, examine your conscience to be sure that you resolve to live in faith and obedience before your Lord and in love and peace with your neighbor. God will surely receive at the table of his Son all who truly repent of their sins, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and desire to do his will. All those, however, who do not repent, who do not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, and who have no desire to lead a godly life, are warned, according to the command of God, to keep themselves from the Holy Sacrament. If any one of us is living in disobedience to Christ and in enmity with his neighbor, he must repent of his sin and reconcile himself to his neighbor before he comes to the Lord's table. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This solemn warning is not designed, however, to discourage penitent sinners from coming to the Holy Sacrament. We do not come to the Supper as though we were righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners and that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. Although we do not have perfect faith, do not serve and love God with all our hearts, and do not love our neighbors as we ought, we are confident that our Savior accepts us at his table when we come in humble faith, with sorrow for our sins and with a will to follow him as he commands. And since it is necessary for us to come to the sacrament in good conscience, we urge any who lack this confidence to seek from the minister or any elder of this church such counsel as may quiet his conscience or lead to the conversion of his life. All then who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who earnestly desire to lead a godly life, ought to accept the invitation now given and come with gladness to the table of their Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, who has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ and provided a most wonderful communion with him through the mystery of the sacrament, we need your grace to enable us to prepare our hearts for the reception of Holy Communion. To all who sincerely believe in your Son and truly repent of their sins, grant assurance of your gracious readiness to receive and bless them in the supper of their Lord. To all who have not repented and have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, grant a restraining fear of this supper, lest their condemnation be greater. But have mercy upon these, and grant them grace to repent of their sins and seek their salvation in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, O Father, that we have all offended your majesty and deserve your judgment. We have transgressed in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Truly there is no strength in us. Be merciful, O God, and grant us your pardon, 
And let us come to the sacrament and the joy of your forgiving love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit, the one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson is taken from Luke chapter 19, page 1210 in the Pew Bible. Page 1210, Luke 19, beginning at verse 28 and reading through verse 48. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he came near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose him and bring him here. And if anyone asks you why you are loosing him, Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of him. So those who were sent departed and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colts, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? They said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own garments on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, they spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that these, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, today is Palm Sunday, that day when we remember the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem just days before his crucifixion. It was a day of great excitement in Jerusalem. A popular teacher a miracle worker, especially in the fact that just a few days earlier he had raised Lazarus from the dead in front of a crowd that had come from Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha. There are a large crowd there, and in front of that large crowd, Jesus raised a man who had been dead uh, for several days, uh, raising him from the tomb. 
And uh, now uh, those people had returned to Jerusalem and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. They're excited about this great teacher, this great miracle worker, and one whom they had hoped would indeed be their liberator coming to Jerusalem during the Jewish festival of the Passover. Especially his disciples were uh, delighted to see Jesus receiving such accolades from the crowds. It was a day of great rejoicing, but it was also a day when Jesus wept. He wept over Jerusalem, a day of sorrow. I want to consider with you this Palm Sunday, the day of rejoicing, a day of joy, and a day of sorrow. It was a day of joy for two reasons in particular. On this day, Jesus declares himself to be the promised Messiah and King. He did that two ways. He did it first by his mode of transportation into the city. We read earlier in the service the prophecy from Zechariah that says, Behold, your king comes to you. Uh, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew that prophecy. He knew it well. And he made arrangements to get a colt of a donkey to ride into Jerusalem, not just to fulfill the sign, to fulfill the prophecy, but to give a sign to people who knew the scriptures that he was the one of whom Zechariah was speaking. Behold, your king comes to you riding on a donkey. And that's why they greeted him, uh, saying, uh, uh, Hail, uh, uh, Son of David. Uh, Matthew uh, gives us a little different version of what the uh, crowds uh, said to him. Uh, they, uh, in, Ma- in Matthew 21, it says, Hosanna to the Son of David. In uh, Luke's Gospel that uh, we read, it was... Uh, Uh, Blessed is the king. Well, son of David, king. Uh, Luke is, uh, they probably said son of David, but Luke is giving us the significance of that. Son of David means king. And so they are proclaiming, by calling him son of David, they are in essence uh, calling him king. One who comes in the name of the Lord. One who comes and brings salvation. One who comes to bring peace. Peace between God and man. And uh, Jesus chose this mode of transportation to make a public announcement, to say to them, I am the one. I am the one of whom the prophet spoke. I am the Messiah. I am the King. I am the Son of David. I am the one who is coming to bring you salvation. Now, the uh, mode of transportation uh, also had a, a message in it, a message which perhaps the people did not understand very well. But he uh, he doesn't come like an ordinary king would make a triumphal procession into a city. Uh, normally kings would come on stallions, on uh, beautiful horses, or come in a, a golden chariot pulled by a team of horses. Uh, Jesus comes humbly. This has been the theme of his whole earthly ministry from the time of his birth as a baby, being laid in a manger in a stall, uh, being born of poor parents, 
being raised in uh, Nazareth and out of the way, a hole in the wall. Uh, Throughout his whole ministry, he has humbled himself and taken the form of a servant. And he continues to humble himself, to come humbly, not uh, triumphantly, although they're putting out palm branches for him, which is a sign of a triumphant king. Nevertheless, he comes to say, I'm not the kind of king that uh, you're hoping for. I'm not the kind of king you necessarily want. Uh, I come in a different spirit, in a different way. But nevertheless, by his mode of transportation, he is announcing to that crowd and to you today. He wants you today to know who he is. He is the one of whom Zechariah spoke. He is the king who comes to bring salvation. That is his message to you by his mode of transportation. But they were also, uh, uh, there's a reason for joy, because uh, he announces that he's the king and the Messiah one other way. Not just by his mode of transportation, but by his refusal to silence what the people were saying. The people were saying, uh, blessed is uh, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, uh, son of David, blessed is he. Uh, that blessed is he comes from Psalm 118, again, uh, regarding the, uh, the blessed of God, the anointed servant of God, the son of David, the longed for king. Uh, he says to his critics, to the Pharisees, who says, silence these people. They shouldn't be saying this about you. And he, in essence, says, yes, they should. <laughs> and if they... If they were to stop saying it, the very stones would cry it. So he's saying these accolades are very appropriate. They are correct accolades. I am the king. I am the one who brings peace. I am the son of David. I am the one blessed of the Lord who comes in the name of the Lord. These all are correct accolades given to me. And so his refusal... To uh, silence these accolades is another way of announcing who he is. And again, by his refusal to uh, silence these accolades, he is saying to you today that he is the blessed of the Lord, that he is the son of David, that he is the one who uh, brings us peace and salvation. The word Hosanna is a word that means uh, save us now, O God. And... Uh, he comes to, indeed, save us, and we are right to look to him to uh, save us. So Jesus is uh, showing you that he is the Messiah King, bringing you salvation. Uh, and so uh, there is reason to rejoice. We rejoice in this revelation. But there's also another reason why we should rejoice, not only because Jesus is revealing who he is for us and that he is our Savior, but also that he comes voluntarily to lay down his life. Now, while we've been considering the Gospel of John, recently we looked at a passage where Jesus went up to Jerusalem during the Feast of the Booths and went secretly. He didn't go openly. He didn't go openly because the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. Now, he's not opposed to that, but it wasn't his time. Uh, There is a set time for him to be put to death. 
It wasn't at the Feast of Booths. It is at the Feast of Passover because Jesus is our Passover lamb whose uh, blood uh, protects us from the angel of death, just as in the ancient Passover in Egypt. The Passover lamb was uh, slain and the blood put on the doorposts of the house and the angel of the death passed over. The people were spared. And so it is that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so it was necessary for him to die at the Passover. And so now Jesus makes no attempt to hide from the Pharisees, uh, from the scribes and Pharisees, the Jewish leadership. In fact, he saved his, his greatest miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead after he had been in the tomb several days. Uh, he raises uh, him from the dead just a few days before this. Some scholars say it was on Friday, others uh, debate that, but uh, nevertheless, uh, he uh, just a few days before had done that and done it before a crowd from Jerusalem, the same kind of people, the same people probably who are now lining the streets to uh, welcome him. Uh, That was designed to uh, raise the the hackles of the scribes and Pharisees at the time that Jesus raised him, uh, Lazarus, from the dead. They said, you know, uh, the whole world's going after him. We've got to do something. We've got to put him to death. And they wanted to put Lazarus to death as well to get rid of the evidence of the miracle. Uh, they, they, we read about that uh, in uh, John uh, 11. But uh, he, uh, now he, uh, just a few days after this great miracle, he doesn't sneak into the city. He comes uh, boldly and appears uh, before them to say, here I am, you know, I've come and now is my hour, now is my time, now is the the time that you can do to me what you want to do to me. Uh, You know, we we talk about the love of the Father, the love of God, Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his Son. Uh, Well, not only does the Father love us so much that he sent his Son, but the Son loves us so much that he comes voluntarily. He comes of his own volition. He comes willingly to lay down his life for us. He says in one place, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. And and that's what Jesus is doing here. That's what this, this public entry into Jerusalem is all about. He's saying, now my hour has come. Now I'm not holding back anymore. Very early in his ministry, when he was at Nazareth, you know, they they took him to a cliff and they wanted to throw him off the cliff. He wouldn't let them do it. He he walked through the crowds and walked away. They were unable to touch him. Now he's saying, here I am. Touch me. Here I am. Do what you want to me. I've come to lay down my life. This is how much Jesus loves you. Some have accused, uh, said uh, concerning the... the, uh, doctrine of the atonement uh, that is taught in Scripture, that the the Father sent the Son to pay for our sins, that this is somehow cosmic child abuse, that the Father would subject the Son to this. But we see there's no child abuse here. Jesus is in one accord with his Father. He comes willingly to lay down his life for this. In this, the glory of the love of God for sinners is made manifest. That while we were yet sinners, he became a servant, even unto death on the cross, suffering and dying for us. And so there is reason to rejoice today. 
Rejoice because Jesus announces who he is, and rejoice because he shows us that he comes willingly to lay down his life for us, even though we don't deserve it. But this is also a day of sadness, the day of sadness when Jesus wept. Wept because, it says, if you had only known, if you had only known, but it is hidden from your eyes. What had they not known the day of, they did not know what would make for peace, and they did not know that God was coming to them as their Savior at this time. The crowds were enthusiastic. They greeted Jesus singing his praises as Messiah and King, but not the kind of Messiah and King that Jesus really was. They did not know what would bring them peace. That is, they did not know what would reconcile them to God. They did not understand that they were alienated from God by their sins and that they needed to to be reconciled to him by a sacrifice of atonement, a sacrifice that would pay for their sins. They thought only of their political problems. The fact that they were subjugated by Rome and had to pay taxes to Rome. They hated that. They thought only of their personal struggles with illness and with poverty and how Jesus had fed them and cured their illnesses. They thought, that's what we need, somebody who will make our life easy for us. And of course, many of them were there simply because they were curious to see something new. Jesus wept for them because they did not know how serious their condition was. And they did not know what he could really do for them, so much greater than what they were asking of him or wanted from him. They didn't know the depth of their own sin and need, and they didn't know the wonder of the salvation that he had brought for them. And he weeps for them. He weeps for them because he foresees that day when not one stone will be left upon another in Jerusalem, when the temple itself will be torn down and the city overrun, when the Roman army will build the siege against it. That's still 40 years away. In A.D. 70, that was fulfilled. But in the intervening time, the gospel would be preached to these people. Some would believe. In fact, many Jews would come to believe. Even some of the priests believed. We read in Acts, uh, uh, the beginning of uh, chapters of the book of Acts. But millions of them did not believe and would not believe. They would be given 40 years. 40 is always the number for testing. 40 days, 40 years uh, when God tests his people and gives them opportunity Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and was tested. And these people are tested with the the preaching of the gospel. They saw the ministry of Jesus and they would hear the gospel proclaimed for 40 years, but they would harden their hearts and ultimately they would be destroyed because of their hardness of heart. And that destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, when not one stone was left upon another, that was... That was one of those foreshadowing events like the Noahic flood and like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroyed the world with a flood and God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with uh, fire and brimstone from heaven. And God destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70 to warn you and me. That when Jesus comes again, then there will be a great judgment. Now is our time of testing. 
Now is the day of salvation when you are called to to hear and, and to believe. So that on that great day when Christ comes again, there is no weeping for you. Do you understand your need? That you are a sinner? Even though the world may look up to you as a very respectable person, a person who keeps his life in order and who has regulated your life in such a way that there's not a hint of scandal against you. You may be even been elected as an officer in the church, but yet, standing before God, if he should mark iniquities, do you realize that even you will not stand You cannot stand in his judgment on your own merit. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Even the most holy among us has only a small beginning. And all our good deeds are tainted with wrong motives and wrong goals. Done for the accolades of man and not for the glory of God. We all have to fall down and confess, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Recognize your need. And recognize that Jesus brings real salvation. Not political salvation. Not not salvation from poverty and salvation from physical illness in this life. He brings forgiveness of sins and eternal life. A new life in the world to come where our bodies will be made well, to be sure. First and foremost, we must know that he comes to lay down his life, to pay for our sins, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Do you understand that? If you don't understand that, you ought not to come to the table of the Lord and profess faith in him that, that you really don't profess by reaching out for those elements. And if you don't understand that, then you ought not to presume that just because you go to church or just because you listen to church on the radio, that that all is right with your soul. Sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car, and sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is what makes you a Christian, what makes you a child of God, trusting in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. This is a day for rejoicing. Rejoicing that Jesus announces that He is the promised Messiah and King, bringing salvation. Rejoicing because He comes and voluntarily lays down His life. Let it also be a day of rejoicing in your heart because you recognize your sin and need And have put your faith in him for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Let this Palm Palm Sunday truly be a day of joy for you. And not a day when Jesus weeps over you. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but rejoices with all heaven when even one sinner repents. Amen. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that Jesus announced that he is the Savior, and show that he voluntarily lays down his life for us. We thank you, O Father, that uh, he did not silence the crowds that proclaimed that he is the blessed of you who comes in your name. 
as the long-forward heir of David's throne, who indeed is our King and our Savior. We thank you that he now reigns on that throne and will reign forever and ever in a new kingdom that shall never perish. Father, warm our hearts to that good news that we may rejoice and be glad this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.